Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stuff. Good morning, and welcome to episode eight of the Wave Pool Mag podcast. Smith. Chaz Smith, bright, hyper-ironic surf journalist, author and bon vivant from Coos Bay, Oregon. I'm just reading his bio here from the EOS.surf, the Encyclopedia of Surf, done by Matt Warshaw, which is an amazing resource open to any of you who are keen and interested in surfing. And it's only like three bucks a month. It's brilliant. So I'd urge you to go and support Matt Warshaw's EOS.surf, the Encyclopedia.surf. But we're not talking about Matt today. We're talking, about, we're talking to Chaz Smith. He was born in San Jose, California and moved to Oregon two years later. When at age 10, he began surfing in the chilly waters in and around Coos Bay. Chaz is a smart guy. He's earned a bachelor's degree in intercultural studies, a master's degree in linguistics, and spent his summers studying Arabic in Egypt and English at Oxford University. So Chaz is a smart guy, and he started Beach Grit, which is probably one of the most controversial surfing blogs around. And he continues his foray to try and take down the WSL. But anyway, let's get into Chaz and let's chat to him about wave pools because that's what we're all about. So welcome, Chaz Smith. Well, that's awesome. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast, Chaz. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be on a Wave Pool Mag podcast. But are you really though? I mean, what do you feel about wave pools? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I super enjoy that they're around just because I think it's, it's providing a whole new... Um, I don't know, something, a new narrative in surfing, which is fun. And the way they'll pull surfing or tug surfing, I think will be interesting. I think it'll be an interesting direction. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I've only surfed Kelly's. And so I want to, I need to surf more, to be honest, to, uh, to form up a, a true opinion. Kelly's I don't like, I'll give you that. Well, let's dig into that a little bit later. But first of all, I'd love to just go back and establish a bit of personal context. Um, because obviously Beach Grit is massive. Um, but did you work for any surf media publications before that? I did. I uh, started actually, um, well, the first thing I wrote was, well, so long ago now, was for a magazine called Vice. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Derek actually read it. And Derek had just started Stab at the time. And so Derek reached out to me and had me do something for Stab. And then I liked it so much that, yeah, I mean, Derek and I worked, you know, I think by the end of Stab or when I left Stab, I was writing like 70% of the magazine probably. Uh, and then from there, um, I went to surfing and I was uh, the editor at Living Large at Surfing Magazine uh, for a couple years. And then Derek and I started Beach Grit. So let's dig deep into that story of starting Beach Crip because it must have, I mean, how did it start off? Did you, um, was it like a call from a friend and then went into an office meeting or did you have a few whiskeys in like a shady bar? I mean, no, it was neither. It was Derek. <laughs> so, so I was working on my book, Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell at the time. Uh, and I was thinking, I think I was still working for surfing or at surfing. And I was thinking, okay, this is it. I'm writing this book and I'm getting out of surf forever. Like I'm going to go on and, and do big, amazing, bold things in, in the, in the world. Uh, and right when I was almost getting done, I was so burned out on surf. I'd even written my, I'm retiring from surfing, uh, editorial and stuck it in surf magazine. I was done. 
Garrett called me up and said, Hey, I want to start a new surf thing with you called beach grit. Or he had already designed it up and everything. And I couldn't say no to Derek. So I totally begrudgingly this, said, okay. Sorry, is this is Derek Lee Scales or not? No, no, this is Derek Riley. Okay. Yeah, this is Derek Riley out of Australia. And so Derek, I mean, I, Derek is the only person I can't say no to. So I was all mad that I, that I did it. But then, yeah, all this time on, it's like, I mean, we have fun every single day. I think we're in our sixth year now. Wow. So did it just take off from the beginning or, and, and what was it? Cause it's kind of an unusual website, right? It's nothing else out there at the time. <laughs> yeah. It's an unusual, it's a surf gossip tabloid. Uh, yeah. So Derek and I, the original idea was we would have a, a videographer guy who dropped out, but so then it was just me and Derek, but we more or less uploaded. I mean, both of us have written, had up to that point written, you know, hundreds or if not thousands of surf articles so we kind of uploaded those into the back end and then just pressed press the go live button at my kitchen one one evening and i think we were drinking a nice cocktail then but um yeah we sent it live and then it's it sort of just morphed into what it's become like we didn't have a i think whatever direction we had for it at the start has totally changed since and it's become almost a living organi- organism that that you know, I don't know the, the comments are so essential to it. And the, just the tone and everything has just grown up. We, we didn't really plan any of it. It's just, I mean, Derek and I, I think are both fly by the seat of your pants kind of guys. And that's what we do every day. So how big do you think it is? I mean, how many people do you reckon you have in your community? Oh, uh, we last month was our, was our biggest month. And we had, I think it was about 1.6 million uniques, unique viewers. Wow. That's massive. I mean, if you think of yeah. like the population of how many surfers are in the world, there's probably like 20 million surfers in the world. I think 20. I would say 20 max. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good percentage you got going there. We're getting a percentage. I thought, I thought this last month we were going to be bigger than the World Surf League, but maybe next month. We're, we're nipping at the World Surf League's heels in terms of at least online traffic. Well, I didn't want to get into the WSL until later, but <laughs> now that you mention it, um, now we can talk about it later. But uh, this book uh, that you wrote about Hawaii, um, what is the title again? It's Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell. Okay. Have you ever returned to the North Shore since? I have, yeah. I was back. Um, I've been back once or twice since. But yeah, I actually really wanted to go this year, but I'm going to Nicaragua instead. Everything, something seems like it always comes up right when I'm about to go. But is it cool there? I mean, no one, no one sort of uh, rags on you about your book and, and everything, because it sounds like quite a derogatory. I haven't read it, unfortunately, but I think I, I have to read it. It sounds compelling. Oh, <laughs> thank you. But uh, <laughs> I'll tell you all about it. Um, but yeah, no, I think I, I think I'd be fine. I'm sure some people might be mad, but or a little a little upset. But at this point, uh, you know, I mean, I just <laughs> it, it just is what it is, and I never. I never pretended to be anything that I wasn't. I think I was just trying to write it from the perspective of a, you know, Howley who blows in during the November, December months and what it feels like to blow in. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, just last question on, on the personal side, like, were you a war reporter? Because it says so in your Wikipedia. I was, I did. I did. Uh, I spent a bunch of time in the Middle East um, before or I guess even while while doing all the surf stuff, like our, my first uh, surf story ever, actually, uh, before the Vice stuff was for um, Australia Surfing Life, which was a uh, me and some friends went to Yemen to surf mainland Yemen, and 
we had always been fascinated by the Middle East in general. Uh, I studied in Egypt uh, as an undergrad for six months and picked up some Arabic. And so, yeah, we just kept going back and back and back, which eventually turned into, yeah, doing war report dollars, covered the 2006 um, Israel-Lebanon war. And then, yeah, a bunch of, yeah, covered the war in Ukraine and a bunch of other, uh, yeah, like war on terror stuff in there. Uh, when you say the war in Ukraine, you mean the Crimean war around then? Yeah, the the Maidan, the Maidan one, the the I guess not the war. Sorry, the uprising. Right. Okay, that must have been impressive times. Like, how did you? I mean, you can't enjoy that kind of thing. Was it? Did you ever go through any like really risky situations? Uh, in the Middle East, a, a lot more so than in Ukraine. Ukraine, I kind of hit it on the on the tail end. It was almost done by the time I was there, and I don't know that that was a very risky situation anyway. But yeah, Middle East. I mean, you know, I've been snagged by hezbollah a few times and yeah been chased by al-qaeda and yeah i have a bunch of good stories it's actually that the next book uh that that'll hopefully be out this spring is the middle eastern book wow and do you miss that um well i suppose you, i wouldn't want to call it a buzz but i mean it must it must be quite thrilling in a way it is and i and i yeah i i can't chase it out of my system no matter how hard i try i was just in egypt a few months ago again and yeah buddies and i have a crazy sailboat that yeah sail got sailed up from yemen but we're yeah it's in custody now so there's always there's always something going on over there uh yeah i'll never i don't think i'll ever be able to to pluck the middle east from my from my system mm -hmm. sounds like, like it's going to be another compelling read uh, yeah hopefully. <laughs> but uh william william finnegan who wrote barbarian days was also a war reporter and uh, a surfer as well um is there any similarity there i mean do you do you aspire to be william finnegan i mean i totally aspire to win a pulitzer prize yes <laughs> yeah, and, or right right for the new yorker uh yeah i mean i think he's he's such a fascinating character and and such a wonderful gift for surfing but i, I mean i think the similarities between war and surfing a lot is uh you know the, the my experiences in either active war zones or you know whatever like war on terror un, kind of ill-defined war situations uh is that you just got to live on your wits and you got to think quick and do do stuff that other people aren't doing in order to get a good story and i think it's you know it's the same as any kind of surf trip when you're trying to either dodge crowds or figure out how to get somewhere i think surfers travel better than any other people on earth and are and are able are more flexible when they're traveling which i think those are just you know basically the only components of covering war that matter Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And obviously, surf travel will change a hell of a lot when people are traveling to wave pools. So let's talk about your journey to Kelly Slater's. Um, like, what did you experience as you arrived at the gate of Kelly Surf Ranch? You know, I mean, like, like let's really dig into detail here. How did you, was it an invitation or, or how did it go down? Yeah, so uh, the World Surf League, um, I think, had realized kind of through its early, early days uh, that they had, they didn't, you know, pay attention at all to the surf media. I mean, there was no, you know, no olive branch. And so I think with the surf media kind of being extra critical in those early World Surf League days, they thought, okay, well, let's, and critical of the pool itself, I think when Kelly unveiled it, I think they thought, let's, World Surf League thought, let's extend an olive branch here. So they invited uh, surf journalists up for, I think it was two different times. So I was in the first, the first, um, day of surf journalists and it was 
yeah, from Surfline, Derek Riley came over from Australia, Nick Carroll was there, uh, Vaughn Blakey, I think Chris Cote was in our group. There was a, yeah, probably, I think, 12 surf journalists. Got was this before so, the first Freshwater Pro? This is before the first, yeah, this is before the first one. And so, yeah, so we, Derek and I actually got up there the night before, everybody stayed at the Tachi Palace, which is the big Indian casino up there, of course, and uh remember drove to surf ranch you know the evening before just to peer over the wooden gate and see it and my first impression was just how humongous it is i wasn't expecting it i, I mean it just stretches on forever you know and the this kind of size and scale was was impressive mm -hmm. amazing so and then so you went back to um the indian casino and partied all night and then the next morning you're gonna surf Yep. Next morning, woke up bright and early. We're there. They had a breakfast prepared for us at the surf ranch. And then, yeah, they put us in into heats. So there was four, they, they called them heats. There was four uh, people per heat. And then you sit stagged or staggered along the fence there on the, and in pole position. So that, you know, the, the first person gets that wave and they get got a right and a left. And then the next person moves up and they get a right and a left. And on down to the fourth and then um if somebody fell then you could poach you could poach their wave so and then yeah they had i think they were they did three uh one hour heats in the morning and then three one hour heats in the afternoon but how did you so, feel when you're sitting there waiting for the wave because i've surfed in bilbao at wave garden and it's just it's pretty it's a pretty weird feeling when you when you're sitting there in the lineup in the ocean and you can see swells coming obviously and the sets coming but you can't with a with a with the wave pool. What's it like at Kelly's? Can you see the can you see the thing coming? No, and it's I mean it's totally nerve rattling, right? Like you're sitting there on the fence, uh, and everybody's of course been asking everyone else, like, okay, for tips and pointers, and and even the um, what they tell you is counterintuitive. They say you're supposed to paddle, you know. So you have all these things in your head. They say you're supposed to paddle uh, toward the whitewash a bit um, when you see the wave coming because that's how you catch it, and then you have to you know basically bend back toward the, uh, toward the wave itself. So I was just sitting there, you know, completely head rattled, think, do not blow it, do not blow it, do not blow it, do not blow this takeoff in front of everybody. Uh, and then they count you down. So, you know, wave in 30 seconds. And then, so then you're even more rattled. And then you hear the uh, plow come to life before you actually see the wave. There's no even bubble. Uh, so the, the plow starts up and then you see a bubble kind of in the far corner. And then, yeah, then it's, coming toward you and you're just getting more and more rattled as it comes but yeah thankfully i didn't cook the takeoff oh cool so but um i think someone mentioned that you dislocated your shoulder is that correct i did i did so i had the uh my first right i rode down uh tried to get in a little mini barrel and it's a really fast wave it's shockingly i think i tried to stall a bit and just got chewed right up um on the right and then on my left uh some of the some of the waves don't actually barrel. I think I had like a, kind of a crumbly one, um, and so halfway down the pool, I got bored and kicked out uh, on the left. And the ski driver came racing over and wanted to know if everything was okay, if I was hurt or something. I said no, just got tired. And he told me I was the first person to ever kick out of a wave at Surf Ranch, which made me real happy. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. And then the next, yeah, and then it was the next right. I think uh, that yeah went for barrel and just got yeah slammed off the bottom and that was it wow it just popped right out popped right out i've i had like i had dislocated my arm probably like 30 times or 50 times before that so it was pretty sloppy 
but yeah, I mean, it, it bashed me off the off the bottom pretty good. Yeah, because a couple of guys mentioned this week uh, being bounced off the bottom in, uh, I think it was in Bristol actually. Um, so, so that must be pretty pretty difficult for um, for for newcomers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think at least in, at Kelly's wave, I wasn't expecting the wave itself to be that powerful. You think, or I thought at least, artificial wave, and you think, you know, kind of manufactured power that I thought I would be generating having to pump down the line pretty hard to to just stay on the wave and yeah that thing is the wave itself is is powerful mm -hmm. um and um, i was just actually wondering about this nda that you mentioned earlier that you signed at kelly's what's the point of inviting press over and getting them to sign an nda they wanted i think they wanted just a blackout so they wanted media coverage all to go live the same day and no one to no one to sneak anything out before that Ah, okay, cool. So, so it was only an NDA for a for a window. Limited period, yeah. It's pretty standard, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I heard another rumor that you have a wild card for the reality TV series, The Ultimate Surfer. Is this true? I totally, I totally need to get one. I need to get. <laughs> I, I want, I want everybody on Beach Grit to apply yeah. for that thing because I think it's pretty easy. I don't think you even have to do a video or anything. I think it's a fairly easy just fill out the form. Have you looked at it yet? Um, yeah, I looked at the form. Yeah, but it's a bit far from me. I'm in Portugal, so. Yeah, yeah, but come on! If you're if you're gonna get to be on Kelly Slater's Ultimate Surfer, <laughs> worth the flight. I don't think I could handle. I mean, I don't even watch reality TV, so I don't think I could handle being on it. I I just want to get one. I f I feel if we if the Beach Grit community really puts their heads together, we can get one Beach Grit person on there. But surely Elo will give you a wild card. Oh, for sure he will. For sure, I'm sure it's in the mail already. <laughs> okay, have you been to um, BSR? at all no i haven't I, I that's the so the ones that look so kelly's the annoying part about kelly's pool i will say is that so after this full day of surfing you know i, I obviously went in the injured reserve on my day but at the end of the day i think chris cote may have been the only surfer there who was happy everyone else was super eggy afterwards just because they either felt bad about the way they surfed on their waves or they didn't enjoy or, or they just wanted more like just insatiably hungry and you know just this little sample which i think that's the real kelly's pool i think the, you know they love saying when you walk in they're welcome to you know there's a charlie and the chocolate factory of surf but it's completely the opposite it utterly robs your joy and it just makes people i think crave what they can't have and or self-analyze in a way in a way that's not enjoyable so you reckon bsr will just satiate your your your, your lust for waves much more than, than everybody Everybody I've talked to says you surf so many waves at BSR that you're exhausted after an hour and you don't even, you just gorge on waves and puke them up afterwards, which that sounds fun to me about a wave pool. That's why Br both Bristol and the Melbourne pool too, it looks like more of that kind of thing, right? Where you, it's this nonstop surfing as opposed to sitting paralyzed, waiting for your one wave that you know you're going to get and that's it which I don't know, surfing with that kind of pressure is, is just silly. We're not, we're not professionals. We, we don't need to have pressure. Yeah, exactly. I know. Good. They did look like they're having a lot of pressure at the Freshwater Pro, those professionals. They were, I remember seeing Coco Ho sitting in the lineup just, um, and, and they zoomed in on her face just before the wave got underway, and she looked really nervous. Yeah, no. Well, that's the, they only get, those pros only got two waves per day. Uh, that was it for the training period leading up to it. And so they'd only ridden, you know, it's not like you can get loose on the thing. Like everybody's even uh, that joy sucker even robs the joy of training. Like, I mean, not that maybe there's no joy in training, but those, I would talk to the pros after they came out. I was up there for their, for one of the training days 
and they were completely rattled. Just like, oh man, I blew my, I tried something on my first wave and blew it. And then I was so nervous on my second wave that I was going to blow it, that I blew it again. So, and that was it. And the, those are your two training waves for the day. And they're doing it again this year or next year. Oh man, that, that is like the, such a, a corporate laugher right there. I mean, every rumor I had, every good, decent source from deep within the WSL said it was off. Uh, or, or it was going to be not going to be on tour next year. The surfers hate it. Uh, it does horrible numbers wise, and they just rammed it, rammed it right down because they've got the ultimate surfer now. So how are you going to, how are you going to have this reality show here and not have the wave on tour? But you reckon they're going to change the format at all? I think they will. I think they'll tinker with it. But I think the the thing is just a. I think it's it's just not good for competition. It'd be good for you know I don't know something. It might it'll be good for. Maybe watching, I won't even be good for watching the ultimate surfer. Who cares? Like, it's going to be so boring watching that dang thing. If that's all, if that's the only thing they surf, like the Kelly went and made a perfect wave. Great. But you, I think you realize as a pretty quickly how monotonous perfection can be. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I felt when I was watching it. But do you think something like a wave garden curve is going to be much more exciting for competitions? Because there's a whole think, different take. I mean, you could have somebody surfing on the left and somebody surfing on the right at the same time. You could have like a completely different combinations of competitions. I mean, I think so. I think I'll, I'll be fascinated to watch the first, you know, like legitimate competition at one of the cove, one of the one of the coves, because, yeah, it seems like it would just be a lot funner it seems like you know you could you could boost bigger on the on the little air sections and all that like the the dumb barrel at kelly's pool should not even be scored i don't think i mean that's which they obviously didn't score it nearly as high this this last contest but it's silly it's a silly pointless thing to watch of course these professional surfers can tuck in a tiny tube i want to see what else they can do which kelly's wave doesn't allow you to do much else mm-hmm Okay, well, Chaz, you've been reporting on, on wave pools for some time as well as obviously normal surfing. Um, but imagine the scenario, some billionaire, I don't know who he would be, gives you 50 million bucks for a, to construct your dream wave park. What would it look like? Oh, it'd be uh, my dream wave park. It's a good question. Because look, uh, I mean, think about there's all these kinds of wave parks coming up and, and uh, um, in, produ- in, in production. Um, there's like obviously urban surfs right next to an airport, uh, Bristol's in a tent with, in, in a field with camping tents. There's a massive shopping mall in Madrid and they're putting a wave in there. So there's all these different kinds of combinations. And I'm just you know, curious what you'd prefer to have. I'm going to say, I'm going to say my perfect would be uh, a cove in Palm Springs. <laughs> that's happening isn't it i think so i think that'll be i think that will be my pool of choice i love palm springs anyway and it's obviously far from the ocean so it's not it's not like the one they they were going to build in florida that got scuttled that's right on the ocean like i don't see the point of having a wave pool on the ocean to be honest and the Tullamarine one the melbourne one seems great too because it's such or it's a bit of a hassle to get i mean especially from the airport in melbourne all the way down to down to bells or whatever is is a little bit of a slog so that one makes sense to me. But yeah, Palm Springs Cove, that's my call. But I mean, I'm thinking more or less as well, like when you walk in, it's just the, okay, the wave is a massive component of a wave park. But um, there's also a hotel or a bar or a restaurant. Like, would you put any of that in? For sure. I mean, to me, that's the that's the most interesting thing, I think, about the future of wave park is, or of these of these wave parks is what the extracurricular stuff will be like. I mean, if you did have a next level kind of hotel and a wave pool and, you know, some other 
fun restaurants or bars or whatever, then yeah, that's something that all of a sudden you can take a two day vacation, sir, close to home, surf, uh, and yeah, have yeah. If you look family at family fun too. If you look at Snowdonia in Wales, um, there's um, interviewed Andy Ainsco like when in, in the beginning of this podcast, quite in the early episodes, and and they've just done an amazing thing. They've put um, zips zip lines and slides all the way across, like whole mountain climbing things and mountain biking and so it's a whole adventure sports setup it's not just surfing yeah i mean to me and to me that's like why wouldn't you do that right i mean to have it be yeah i mean that's what i'd want to do i'd want to go have a different experience uh when i go to a wave pool i i don't i wouldn't want it to replicate the ocean i want it to be a wave pool which i think that's the interesting thing is it's it's surfing still but it's a whole different part of surfing and so make it different Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't want to celebrate the ocean vibe? No, I do not like celebrating ocean vibes. I want, I want, I mean, my, initially my favorite looking uh, wave pool that came out was the plunger one, whatever that one's called. What is that one called again? Surflex. Yeah, Surflex, just because it looks so weirdly dystopian. And I could just imagine like, you know, getting, getting uh, some kind of crazy metal bands playing on the plunger, make it look like Mad Max. And yeah, I want something that I want someone to create a different, vision of what surfing is not oceanic not beach vibes not anything just show me something crazy cool sounds awesome so uh, that was my next question is what what would the wave tech be for this pool but uh you kind of answered that <laughs> i think the even though i've never surfed one that's just the one that seems like it's the it's the the waco one looks fun too but the cove one just looks like it's a it's a bit more robust with with more potential variety how mm-hmm. it seems absolutely um, okay, so the growth of surfing is like a double-edged sword, isn't it? On the one hand, you have more opportunities for people to work passionately in the space that they love. But on the other hand, you've got more kooks polluting the brakes. So how do you feel about the growth of surfing? I mean, I think it's one of the funniest part about about surfing in general is that we can all, of course, beach grid, you know, we're in surf media every day. We're pushing a narrative every single day. But as surfers, you never want one more person to ever get in the water. And so you're both covering this thing while trying to scare people off, uh, which is funny. But yeah, I, I don't know. The double-edged sword part of surfing, I think, will will never be will never be adequately, you know, figured out. But maybe maybe it's wave pools. I mean, maybe a bunch of people will just go surf tanks and never care to step foot in the ocean again. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also. Um v reefs and ocean reefs which are apparently going to come along and and, and just take normal normal closeout breaks and turn them into perfect a-frames so the thing with surfing though is i think that i mean i think even if you make it accessible and easy and fun and all that i think the people who get hooked by surfing and continue to do it through all the hardships and the pain and the expense and the trouble and all of it are like is a specific kind of addict. And I don't know if you can create those addicts on demand. I don't know that people will go to a wave park, for example, and fall in love with surfing and then get super hooked. Maybe they will, but it seems like the person who gets hooked to surfing is a, is a specific kind of person. Yeah. Cause I mean, isn't it just, I don't know. I felt that when I was a kid and I was like 14 years old and I slid down the face of a wave and I was just addicted from the day, from that day. Yeah, me uh, too. I mean, the, I mean, I, I remember clear as a bell. I think I was the first time I actually, rode down the fa- I mean I you know straight in the whitewash since I was eight but the first time it's like probably 10 when I actually moved down the line and just couldn't believe it it was epic but doesn't everyone get that addiction straight off 
I don't think so. I think that some people can do it and they can like it and think that was fun. Like, you know, I think so. I don't know when I, if I'm skateboarding, uh, you know, the first time I landed a ollie or something, I thought, well, that's, that's kind of cool, but it didn't like grab me and make me want to skate all the time, which I think it's, it's just a specific person becomes addicted. I don't think it's a universal addiction. Yeah, because we get thousands of people here in Portugal every single day going out to learn to surf on the West Coast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, all of them just go back home and go, wow, that was a nice day. That, I mean, that's what I feel. That's And nobody, I think, or not nobody, I'm sure some of them get the bug, but I bet the vast, vast, vast majority, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun thing they did. They have it in their scrapbook or on their Instagram that they went surfing, but they're, they're not going to go surfing again. Because that's the whole driving, isn't it, these days? The driver is social media. A lot of it is saying, like, well, I want to go and do that thing because everyone Precisely. else is doing it. And it looks yeah, cool, I want right? to I want to show that I'm living this adventurous life and, yeah, I'm, I'm having this experience. But in terms of actually becoming a surfer, I don't think – I wonder if it's yeah, – and maybe I'm totally wrong. But my I would hope, at least, that the, the number of actual core surfers, the addicts, uh, stays relatively – the same. The choreatic dies on one end and one is born on the other end, but that it that it doesn't it doesn't fluctuate too much, I hope. Well I suppose the the um the future the hope for the future could be that um the ocean surfing population could remain static while the wave pool population will grow and there'll be more and I mean, more wave pools here. Completely, completely. And and a thing that I want to see as wave pools grow and change and all that, I would love to see different equipment in wave pool. I don't know why you have to have a, a standard shortboard. You know, I don't, I don't know that that's the best tool for, for a wave pool, right? Where I'll be real curious what happens with boards in pools. And eventually if a wave pool board is basically, you know, you, it doesn't look like a ocean surfboard at all anymore. That'll be interesting. Yeah, Cause I just, I just don't know why you need, there's so many things that are specific to an ocean surfboard that have nothing to do with necessarily riding the wave, right? I mean, it's it's about paddling out and a bunch of other stuff that you don't need. I guess not a bunch of other stuff. One other thing, but I, th- I don't know why you need so much foam and stuff in a in a pool. Yeah, so just because you ride at the peak all the time, it's no problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, lots been said about surfing's inclusion in the Olympics in 2020. Do you reckon there'll be any real impact in the sport? No, I, I think they're crazy. I think they're absolutely insane. First of all, I think it's going to be more or less unwatchable. I think they'll get uh, a couple rubberneckers. To, you know, I'm sure they'll hype it up. Like this is youth sport surfing, cool, rad. And I'm sure day one, maybe they'll have, you know, people t- tuning into the Olympic broadcast to see what this is all about. Those people will not turn in day two or three when all they see is, two surfers or four surfers or whatever kind of heat format they're running sitting in the water most of the time, like snowboarding and all these things. And look at snowboarding is so much more dynamic looking than surfing and, and continues to be uh, for at least the winter Olympics. One of the, I think, I think men's half pipe is always the most highest or the, or the highest um, what most watched part of any winter Olympics and snowboarding is completely just, listing like snowboarding as an industry has never been in a worse time so i have no idea how anyone in the world thinks that olympics is gonna olympic surfing is gonna is going to change the dynamic at all unless they think it's just gonna make it worse 
Well, the WSL seem to think it's going to be it's going to be massive. They're insane. They're absolutely insane. They have drank. They have sucked down their own Kool Aid because you can look exactly at. I mean, there's an exact parallel, which is snowboarding. And honest to goodness, snowboarding made a few people. Snowboarding in the Olympics, the only person really that benefited from it was Sean White. Sean White became a millionaire from Olympic snowboarding. The rest of the the rest of the snowboarding industry is just sunk, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've got to get back to the WSL because that's obviously your your pet, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I, like, if you achieve your hellbent mission on destroying the WSL, is that right? Is that is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, no, not yet, not yet. I'm still on the. I, I keep getting, I keep getting dealt massive, massive battle defeats, but I'm sallying forth. Yeah, it's just such a goofy, goofy organization. I was talking to somebody the other day about it uh, who is in the office sometimes. And this person said, the crazy thing about it is that nobody there surfs. Like, honest to goodness, nobody surfs. There's a couple. There's Pat O'Connell, who's the commissioner. There's Devin Howard, who's the commissioner on the longboard side. Uh, There's Dave Prodan, who's somewhere in there as a vice president. But I think that's mostly it. So you have this organization trying to package and sell surfing which d- doesn't even fundamentally understand understand surfing. Mm-hmm. Like Eric Logan's a stinking stand-up paddleboarder. He's not a surfer. And so, <laughs> so they're, they're selling this thing that they... What's wrong with stand-up paddleboarders? What? what? Oh, What's wrong worse. with stand <laughs> They're the worst. I loathe the stand-up paddleboarder. Yeah. Well, then you, then you got to hate me because I love stand-up paddling. But anyway. Really? I like <laughs> yeah. It on, I like it on... It's okay. I'll give you a pass on a lake. But don't bring your stand-up into the lineup, is what I say. <laughs> no, it is dangerous in a lineup. I mean, we can go and catch the catch the other little waves around there. But uh, hey, but look, if you've if you've destroyed the WSL, what will the Beach Crit League look like? Because yeah, that'll replace be a, it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, the Beach Crit League would replace it, and the Beach Crit League would be fun. It would be surfers could say what they want. Uh, the commentary, I think, would be better. And and I know this is all a pipe dream. Uh, the WSL does, I think, a pretty fantastic job of putting on those contests. And mm-hmm. but but the stories they tell around those content contests, I think, are so silly. Where I think you just you bring better people in, more knowledgeable people, and just package really fun stuff while the while the contests are going on. I mean, I, I would leave the format not the same. I would cut off the bottom fifteen surfers and you know all all that kind of stuff, shorten them down, uh, make them quicker. Um, only only. You know, I mean, of any any tour, you really only ever, ever want to watch ten guys surf, and so having to slog through the rest of them. But yeah, I mean, there's change the format slightly, and then just make it fun again. But if you look at it on the surface and very superficially, I mean, they're creating massive amounts of content, and it's all for free. I mean, look at Formula One; you got to pay top dollar to actually see that stuff. For sure. I mean, that's that's what I think they got. I think they got into it thinking that the tour was going to be a moneymaker that they were going to be able to sell against the tour and that thing would make money for them. And now I think they realize, dang it, not only does the tour not make money, the tour drains money like nobody's business. And so I think the tour now has become a loss leader to sell content, to sell the ultimate surfer show to ABC, to sell, you know, whatever Netflix things they're trying to sell or HBO things they're trying to sell. And you need the contest, I guess, the tour in order to sell that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, it ain't easy to, to to make money off a tour. So would you employ Elo to do the content for the Beach Crit League and Chris no, Cote to commentate? I would. I would. Chris would be more than welcome. But Elo would be 
left out in the cold where there's much wailing and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Chaz, thanks so much. It's been awesome to chat to you about this. It really is cool. And I hope you get to build your wave pool one day. Oh, me too. Me too. It'll be a beauty. Excellent. Great. Well, that's awesome. And thanks so much. I really do appreciate you coming online on such a short notice. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for listening once again to another episode of the Wave Pool Mag podcast. As always, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe. Go down to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. Wherever you find our podcast, you can subscribe and you can leave a message and a, and a rating. So we'd really appreciate that. Check out the show notes on wavepoolmag.com forward slash podcast. And there's probably a, there is a dedicated post for each podcast. So if you just keep up to date on wavepoolmag.com, you'd be able to read all about it, along with a multitude of other stories about breaking news in the wave pool industry, because these things are being planned all over the world. I, I'm, I kind of lost track of how many projects we're following at the moment, but you can check it all out on the Surf Planner. If you'd like to start a wave pool and you have the grit to do it, because it's not an easy task. I mean, it's a massive undertaking. If, you, if you've if you got developer experience or real estate experience, it helps. Um, if you're just like a kooky surfer with a break and a mission, you could probably still do it because people have done it in the past. What I'm trying to say is that uh, Brian and I have learned an amazing amount. We've got an incredible network of people around the world who are working with wave pools, who are working with the wave pool tech, working with wave pool operations and developments and press and marketing and all kinds of things and 3D stuff. So we know how to do this stuff. We're doing it ourselves. So if you need any help, get in touch. My email is nick.wavepoolmag at gmail.com or just hit us up on the site. There's a contact form. I hope you have a great week and enjoy all the Wave Pool Mag news coming your way. Thanks a lot. Wave Pool Mag. For your curiosity and stoke.